John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. May God the Holy Spirit grant us the wisdom to be able to understand the passage before us. Our passage begins with, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas, we are told, was absent when the Lord appeared to the disciples the week before. If we backtrack a little to the previous text, John 20, verses 19 to 23, we get a better picture of the background. It was on the first day of the week, Sunday, that the disciples had been huddled together in that particular scene, verses 19 to 23. It was that Sunday of the Lord's resurrection, and it seems that this was the Lord's fifth appearance. But when the Lord appeared to his disciples, the first time, Thomas was absent. And because he was absent, he was deprived of the excitement, the joy, and the tremendous encouragement that the Lord's resurrection had had upon those who saw him. So Thomas had been absent the week before. Now, we may be inclined to ask ourselves, where was he? Why was he not there with the rest of them? Some have suggested that his disillusionment may have caused him to wander away. Or perhaps he had gone to take care of some other serious affairs. Others say it may have been because of the fear of the Jews, and therefore he dared not come, showing him to be somewhat cowardly. Still others propose that he was not well, that he was so grief-stricken and discouraged that he could not tolerate a crowded environment. 
Nevertheless, whatever the case may have been, Thomas was not there when the Lord appeared and he missed him. He missed the joy and the peace of his presence and as a result had to endure another extra week of turmoil and discouragement. And when the other disciples tried to cheer him up and testify to him that they had seen the resurrected Savior with their own eyes, he did not believe them. Not because he would not, but because he could not. He needed some extra ordinary evidence at this stage to make him believe. Which then brings us to the first point in our message, which I've entitled, Evidence is Demanded. Evidence is Demanded. Verse 25. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, unfortunately, has often been given a bad rap, a bad report, a bad disposition. He has often been labeled as a doubting Thomas. But was he any different from the rest of the disciples? Was he any different from you or from me? After all, he only demanded the same kind of evidence which the other disciples had already been given. He wanted to see for himself his resurrected Lord, alive and well. His great grief and deep despondency had seemed to destroy his long-cherished hope, and so strong proof, physical proof, was now needed to overcome his despondency and to restore his confidence. And can you blame him? Would we have demanded any less? John twenty twenty, we read, And when he had so said, he showed himself unto, he showed unto him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And in Luke's gospel, we are given more details concerning that same appearance. Luke 24 Verses 39 to 43. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? Here, And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Then the disciples believed. And so you see, Thomas only wanted to see the same evidence which the other disciples had been given so that he too could believe with the same kind of fervor with which the other disciples already believed. There is a lesson here for each one of us. We see human nature at work here. Man is slow to believe. 
even under the best of circumstances. Many do not believe because they do not see. That is a fact of life. And as such, they are in danger of losing their soul. For visible proof is not always the best proof, but many just won't believe. Nonetheless, we are reminded of that horrible scene in Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31, about the rich man and Lazarus in hell. Both had died. Lazarus was carried by ministering angels to Abraham's bosom or paradise, while the rich man ended up in hell, the place of torment. And finally, when the rich man realized his hopeless estate, he panicked for the eternal safety of his five brothers who were still alive, but surely headed for hell. And so he cried out in desperation to Abraham, who was in paradise, to send Lazarus back to life to warn his brothers of this horrible place. But the soul-condemning answer that Abraham gave was this, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear or be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. There are many like that rich man today. Where is he, they say? I will not believe until I see him face to face. Oh, that we might realize this caution before it is too late for our souls. If we do not see through the eyes of faith and accept the testimony of God's word, then we too shall perish. In verse 26 of John's gospel of chapter 20, we read, and after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And eight days later, on the very next Sunday, the Lord's Day, Jesus appeared once again unto his disciples, who were all gathered together behind closed doors. This time, Thomas was with them. And as soon as Thomas saw him, and this brings us to the second point, evidence provided. As soon as Thomas saw him, we read, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. What a marvelous revelation of our Savior. There he stood, in his resurrected but physical body. There could be no denying now, this was not an illusion. This was real. He had a body of flesh and bones, as he himself testified in Luke twenty-four thirty-nine. Behold my hands and my feet, 
that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. He had a new body, just like he said he would have. He died, was buried, and rose again, just like he said he would. It would be impossible to imagine what was going through Thomas's mind at this instant. But I'm sure that now the words which the Lord so often spoke to his disciples were sinking in and becoming reality. John 2, verse 19 to 21, we read, Destroy this temple. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. Or in Matthew 16, 21, shortly after Peter's famous confession of faith, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So all of these things happened exactly how Jesus said they would happen. And Thomas believed. Now perhaps a comment or two would be helpful here concerning the body of the resurrected Savior. There are those who teach that though he may have been resurrected from the dead, that he was resurrected spiritually and not physically. And so they interpret Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, a spiritual body as a spiritual resurrection, not a physical resurrection. Well, let me dispel such confusion by answering it this way. The only interpretation that both the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints understood by resurrection is resurrection of the body. It is a literal resurrection of the physical body. The spirit and the soul never die to begin with. They do not come back to life because they have never died. They are not the object of the resurrection. But what is brought back to life after it dies is the body. It is reunited with the soul and the spirit. The Apostle Paul is very explicit in his treatment of this very question in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 50. He answers the question in verse 35, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? In the next several verses, the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that there are different bodies. All flesh is not the same flesh, verse 39, but that there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, 
another flesh of fishes, and another of birds. And that each of these are natural bodies. These are all earthly bodies. They are suited to life on earth. And that is all they can ever be suited for. Paul therefore concludes in verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. But he says in verse 44, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And just as the natural body is earthy, so the spiritual body is heavenly. That is why each one of us must have a spiritual rebirth before we die. We must be born again by the Spirit of Christ so that when we die, we can experience the same kind of resurrection as Christ did. Though it was a physical resurrection, a physical handle and touch type of body, it was also a spiritual body, a body now suited for heaven, a body with flesh and bones, but no blood as its life force. Its life force was now spirit, the spirit of God. So such as uh, so each believer will someday have a physical resurrection of a supernatural body, a spiritual body, because it will be empowered and sustained by the Spirit of God and not by blood. It will be a supernatural body because, like our Savior's, it will no longer be subject to the physical laws of science. Jesus appeared instantly and stood in their midst while the doors were all shut. He disappeared in the same manner. Yet often the question has been asked, will we need to eat? The scriptures indicate, surely, that we will be able to eat just as our Lord did in Luke 24, 42. Now this new resurrected body will be a body that can never see corruption again. It will be a body free from sin and the ruination of sin. It will be an eternal, physical, supernatural, yet spiritual body. But that body will not be ours until the rapture of the church. Now, as we go back to our main text in John 20, 27, we notice that the Lord immediately turns to Thomas and offers him the proof he was waiting for. Here, Thomas, here am I. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an apparition or a figment of your imagination. See, touch me. I'm real. I was dead, but I'm alive. Just like I said I would be. Go ahead and touch me. Put your hand into my wound. Don't be faithless, Thomas, but continue to believe because it is true. I am risen. And Thomas, 
Oh, I would have liked to have seen his face at this moment. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Third point. Evidence is accepted. It was the marks of Calvary that made the difference for Thomas. And it is the marks of Calvary that make the difference for each one of us here this morning. If it weren't for the prints of the nails in his hands and feet and the wound in his side, we would all be still lost in our trespasses and sins with no hope of redemption. Because it was his blood, that precious, sinless blood, that had to first be shed so that our redemption could be complete. And then Thomas said, My Lord and my God, it is the grandest and most profound declaration in all of Scripture of a personal confirmation of the deity and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. No one ever addressed our Savior in Scripture in such a personal way in declaring one's personal faith. At this moment, Thomas, doubting Thomas, moody Thomas, discouraged Thomas, was transformed instantly into victorious Thomas as he uttered these words to his Savior, My Lord, and my God. At this moment, Jesus was no longer just their Lord, but he was Thomas's Lord, and he was Thomas's God. And oh, how I rejoice with Thomas, because you see, I too had such a declaration many years ago when I first believed. When I first saw the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the wound in his side, it was then when I realized that they were for me that he died and for me that he was raised again. And it was then that I too claimed him as my very own, my Lord and my God. Thomas's declaration put the question of Christ's deity to rest once and for all, because by that statement, Thomas declared Jesus Christ to be both God and Lord of all. The Son of God was God come in the flesh. Jesus Christ is not man become God, but rather God become man. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Though the Lord was satisfied that Thompson, Thomas sorry, truly believed and confessed him as his Lord, the Lord showed Thomas that there is a better way. And though Thomas was blessed for believing, the Lord commends the faith of those who believe on easier terms. Blessed are they who believe and have not seen. 
It would seem that what the Lord was implying was that those who have believed without the strong physical, visible evidence that Thomas demanded would be in the same respects more blessed than he. They who would be convinced by the testimony of the apostles and by the word of God and his Holy Spirit would somehow be more blessed. The gospel writer concludes this passage with verses 30 to 31 and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Please note that the Apostle John, who was an eyewitness to all that is contained within his testimony, writes, But these are written that ye might believe. The purpose of God's written record to both sinner and saint alike was so that all might believe that this one whom we have been looking at these past few minutes, this Jesus, this Jesus Christ, is none other than the Son of God himself. There can be no more nobler purpose for writing a book than for the purpose of revealing to a lost world the good news that God so loved us that he gave us his Son. The natural author writes to reveal himself or to reveal a truth or a fact that may or may not be of interest to a great number of people. But the author of this book has written about something which is of immense importance to every soul in this universe. It should therefore be carefully read and meditated upon. The purpose for writing this book is to show that Jesus Christ is God and that upon believing this fact, we might have eternal life. There would be no more evidence given to bolster our faith than the evidence already given. There would be no visible, physical manifestation of Christ to verify the written record. Cults and false religions demand supernatural signs and wonders and extra-biblical writings. But if we are to stay true and sound, we must hear the voice of Scripture. An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the proof and purpose of Scripture in is to verify and to proclaim in no uncertain terms that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is risen from the dead, 
and is now seated in heaven's glory beside the Father, but will one day come again first to take his own and next to judge the world and banish sin to the burning lake of fire for all eternity. And faith is still the vehicle through which eternal life will be given to us. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he did for you and what he did for me at Calvary. And so, as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this solemn question. Do you, by faith, believe the testimony of Scripture? that Jesus Christ is risen? And do you claim him as your own Savior? Or do you still look for other signs? Why not receive him today if you haven't done so already? For the promise still stands that the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him.